Hey, how'd he get turned off? Anyway, so anyway, as preachers, we have this, um, we, most of the time we have this routine we go through to get ready to preach. For some guys, it's, you know, they do some push-ups. I know that sounds crazy. They'll do some push-ups to kind of get their mind right. Some guys will, they'll have a, a solemn moment where they're in prayer and deep in thought and, and just really meditating on the message God's given them. But y'all forgive me, I was going to do all those things, but I just met Rich Ward backstage. And so my way to get prepared to preach this morning was I had a picture made with him. And, um, sorry. So y'all kind of, y'all build this up the wrong way. Y'all keep saying, like, like I heard Philip say that, you know, if everybody's going to send Gary a message, well, here's the deal. We could really mess with Gary's head if I only preached like 20 minutes and we got out of here. That's not going to happen. So since that's not going to happen, I've already let your, I've let your expectations down now. So let's get into the message. So Gary's been doing this series called La Familia, and he's talked and he's introduced that the last couple of weeks, and I'll kind of go there in just a minute. But one of the things that I love about Action Church is that Action Church is a place for everybody. And so it's a place where everyone is welcome and everyone is loved. It doesn't matter your background, your baggage, your hurts, your habits, your hangups. It doesn't matter the scars that you enter the building with. You're loved. You're welcome. Gary likes to say it like this. God loves you. We love you. And there's nothing you can do about it. And I don't know about your background, and I don't know about your past, but I know from a guy who's been at the bottom of the pit, it's nice to be welcome sometimes, because there's some places you're not. You know what I mean? And so every year in July, Gary does this series where he kind of, he focuses the teaching series on, on kind of the core group, the family, if you will. And that's kind of what he's doing this month. And so I know he's talked about loyalty, and he's talked about honor. And so today, I want to talk about something else that... that, that in my mind, exemplifies the concept of La Familia. It's deeper than blood. It's deeper than the family into which you were born. It's deeper than that. It's the people you choose to do life with. And I look around, and, and today I was standing in the back talking, and, and, and I won't give all of the secrets away, but I was talking to someone, and this just blew my mind. I had this great introduction prepared, but then I met Rich Ward. Mind blown. I had this great introduction prepared, but then I was standing in the back and I was talking and there was an individual who's going through cancer treatments. He said, yeah, I'm really not supposed to be around crowds, but I kind of serve in this capacity. And so the other person who serves in this capacity was not able to be here. And so I'm here and I'm serving in this capacity. And I want you to hear that. They're going through cancer treatments. They're not supposed to be around crowds, but they've chosen to do life with the family that is Action Church. There was a need, and they stepped up, and they said, I'm there. I got your back. If that does not exemplify the concept of La Familia, I don't know what does. And so this morning, I want us to take just a few minutes and look at this concept that dives into the idea of La Familia. What is it that makes family deeper than the, the family that you're born into, deeper than blood, but the people you choose to do life with. For a long time, many of you have heard my story, for a long time, I spent a lot of my life in what is what we would call established churches, traditional churches, and, and uh, even in those churches, some of them said they were contemporary or progressive, and what they really meant was that they were traditional churches who just didn't wear a tie. But they still had the secret handshake. They still had the secret lingo. You still, you may not have been expected to wear the tie, but you were expected to walk like them, dress like them, act like them, talk like them, and most importantly in the South, vote like them. And if you didn't match all of that, all of a sudden, you didn't fit or you became a second-class citizen in the kingdom. Well, I got news for them and I got news for you. The Bible says that those of us who trust Jesus as our Savior, who follow Christ, we are born again by the Spirit of the living God. We are adopted into His family, and my daddy ain't got no stepchildren. Amen. And so this morning, I want to talk about this concept of what it means to be La Familia. We've talked about loyalty. We've talked about honor. How about we talked about, talk about unconditional love this morning? Now, by show of hands, I can't see you, so don't worry. The only people who will see you are the people sitting beside you, and they already know your story. I can't see you, but by show of hands, how many of you have made some mistakes that have left you with some hurts, habits, 
hang-ups, baggage, scars. How many of you have got a past is what I'm asking you? Uh Uh-huh. The only ones that don't are the children, and and they're not raising their hands just because they're not old enough to to have messed up yet. Right? And here's the deal. There was somebody over here who didn't raise their hand, and their spouse elbowed them, and they put their hand up. (laughs) They'll figure out what they've done later, but they, they obviously know to put their hand up when the spouse gives them the elbow, right? Well, there's a passage of Scripture this morning, and we're going to look at it in just a minute. I'm kind of set the stage for you. Jesus has been crucified. He's risen again, and he's about to appear for the third time to the disciples. But Simon Peter, now let me remind you about Simon Peter. Simon Peter, who said he would never deny Jesus, and Jesus said, Simon, before this night's over, you're going to deny me three times. And then Peter denied him three times, and the last time he even cursed in so doing and said, I don't blank and know the man. He had to be from the south if he threw that adjective in there. And so they're laughing because they've been there. They're like, I know what word he used. But he cursed him three times, and now Simon Peter, Jesus has appeared to them a couple times. He's about to appear to them a third time in John chapter 21. And Simon says, I'm going to go out and go fishing. And so he and the disciples go out, and they fish. And they fish all night, and they don't catch anything. And then the next morning, they're told uh, to let their nets on the other side. And they do, and they catch this massive catch of fish. It's 153 of them. And people wonder why, that, why Scripture records the 153. I've heard people say that that's because there was 153 types of fish in that particular ocean. And they caught at least one of every kind. And it's to show that people from every tongue, tribe, and nation will be brought into the kingdom of God. And maybe that's true. It sounds good. I just don't know. But it sounds good, but they caught these massive fish, and they come up on the the shore, and they begin to have uh, breakfast, and they realize that it's Jesus, and so then Jesus and Peter go away together, and they begin to have this conversation, and I don't know if you're like me, but I like those times when Jesus pulls people aside and has some one-on-one with them, because typically when Jesus has a one-on-one with somebody, something's about to change, and I don't know if you've ever been in that boat, but I've had some one-on-ones with Jesus where things have been about to change in my life. You been there? So here's what's about to happen. They go to have this one-on-one. Now remember, Peter has denied Jesus, has said he didn't know him. And they go to this conversation. In John chapter 21, verse 15, the Bible says this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? The question people ask is, who are the these? Are the these those fish? Or are the these the other disciples? Does it really matter? Jesus is asking Simon, do you love me more than more? Do you love me more than the fish? Do you love me more than you love the fish? Or do you love me more than these other disciples? I mean, it doesn't matter. He wants to know what's, my le- what's your level of love to me. What's your level of commitment to me? Isn't that what he's asking? Now, let me ask you a question. Don't you think Jesus already knows? Let me ask you another question. Don't you think, regardless of what your baggage, hurt, hang-up, habits, scars, past, don't you think Jesus already knows where you are? And we're going to get to the unconditional love part. Hang on. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you, Jesus. Uh, Jesus then goes on to say, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Man, this is a beautiful passage. We call this the threefold restoration of Peter because he's asked three times and it correlates to the fact that he denied Jesus three times and he's asked if you love me three times. But, but there's so much to this and we, can't, we don't have time to unpack all of it this morning, but I gotta unpack a little bit of it so that we can see where we're going here. So just kind of just bear with me. One of the things they teach you in seminary is to never, the phrase they use is never let, your sl- never let your slip show. In other words, never tell the people you're talking to that you're about to tell them about the differences in the original language and the English language. So I'm gonna let my slip show and I'm gonna 
tell you a few things. First of all, there are three words in Greek, in Greek that refer to the word love. One of them is the word that we all have probably heard before called agape. It means unconditional love. It means love above all else. Another word is the word phileo. It, it's the word from where we get our term Philadelphia. So what do you think it means? If Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, then phileo love is what? Brother love, I have a deep affection for you. And then there's the third word that we don't find in the New Testament, but it's the word eros. It's the word that we get our word erotic from. I'll let you do the math. <laughs> I was once told you don't have to tell everything you know. There could be good money in it, but you don't have to tell everything you know. So what's interesting is that in this passage, the first two times that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me, he uses the word agape. Peter replies with the word phileo. Peter is telling Jesus, you know my level of love. Now I have to pause for just a moment. There are scholars who have said that the differences in word choices here absolutely mean nothing because this conversation would have taken place in Aramaic, and because it would have taken place in Aramaic, John just chose to use interchangeably agape and phileo as he recorded his gospel. I find that interesting because those same scholars are the ones who also are the ones that would say that every single word in the Bible is there for a very specific reason, and we must look at why it's there. You don't get to have your cake and eat it too. So the reason that I find it to be extremely interesting is because of this. Jesus knew Peter's level. Peter tells him, this is my level of love. And so the third time when he asked him, do you love me? Peter, he, Jesus says, do you, feel, do you have deep affection for me? Do you love me like a brother? And Peter says, you know all things. You know I love you like a brother. Well, Grady, why are you talking about brotherly love and unconditional love? It's interesting you should ask that. I know you were thinking it, whether you said it out loud or not, because you're thinking, how's he going to tie all this together? It's like this. Regardless of where you are right now in your level of commitment or lack thereof to Jesus, get this, his level of commitment is still agape and unconditional towards you. Get that. Your level of commitment at this point in your life has nothing, no bearing on Jesus' level. Now, why is that important if we're talking about La Familia? Here's why. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus was asked, prior to that, Jesus was asking the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered, some say Moses, some say Elijah. But who do you say that I am? Jesus asked the disciples. And Peter replied this, you are the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. And Jesus says, Simon, you are Peter, Petros in the Greek. And upon this rock, Petra, I will build this rock, the statement that you've just made that I am the Messiah, I will build my church. So in other words, Jesus promised to build his church. If we see Jesus as promising to build his church, and in John chapter 21, we see someone who's going to be a leader in the church in Acts chapter 2 as the guy that stood up on the day of Pentecost, preached, and 3,000 people came to Christ, then isn't it interesting that we see this and Jesus says that he is the example, the perfect example of unconditional love. And if he's the perfect example of unconditional unconditional love and we are called to be his followers in his church does it not make sense that unconditional love ought to be something that is exemplified in la familia yeah. unconditional love so we're going to talk this morning about some characteristics of unconditional love if the fan will quit blowing my bible and turning my pages because it's bothering me we're going to talk about some examples of unconditional love this morning or some some characteristics if you will not examples some characteristics of unconditional love i got to thinking about some characteristics. <clears throat> Gary made the comment in one of his recent sermons that Action Church was started to reach people who are far from God, who have been hurt by the church, burned by the church. Oh, it's not on. It's just, I think it's just me moving too much. Sorry. <clears throat> I looked down after I said that. People have been hurt by the church, burned by the church, have given up on God. Lindsay and I were talking this morning on the way here, and Lindsay said, you normally tell me what you're preaching on. You haven't said anything this, this week. And I said, well, it's probably because I'm going to tick a bunch of people off. 
See, here's the deal. There are people who like, y'all, some of y'all like to Facebook Live some of these sermons. So people will see it. Now, I have to tell y'all this before I go any further. I have over 3,000 friends on my Facebook friends list. Now, I'm going to use the word friends loosely. I have about, let's see, I have about 200 friends, and I have about 3,000 observers. Surveillance cameras, I like to call them. There are people on my Facebook friends list who will not say a word to me. They'll see me in public and turn and go the other way. And I had showered that day. But they'll see me probably turn and go the other way. But let me tell you what, I post a picture of my wife and I at our wedding last week, and they don't like something in the picture, and they come out the woodwork to gripe at me about something on my wedding day. Now, that's what I call surveillance cameras. So when you say people are not going to like some of what I'm about to say because they're going to think I'm bashing the church, here's the deal. It's not bashing if the shoe fits. It's not bashing when the shoe fits. All right? So let's start. Unconditional love stays when others leave. Unconditional love says, I'm here with you. I got your back. I ain't going nowhere. All hell may come against us, but we're going to stand back to back. We're going to face this together. Others may leave, but I'm not going anywhere. Get this for just a minute. Peter denied Jesus. I don't know what else he could have done that was worth worse other than selling him out like Judas did. He denied knowing Jesus, denied being a follower of Jesus, denied even knowing the man. And yet here we are just a few days after the resurrection, and now Jesus and Peter are having a one-on-one, and Jesus said, I haven't gone anywhere. Peter, I called you, and I'm still here with you, and I'm not going anywhere. Unconditional love in the church looks like this. You may not like something somebody does. They may even do that thing that we don't like to talk about. They may sin. They may hurt you. They may burn you. They may offend you. They may get upset with you. They may, they may cause you grief. But unconditional love says, you're mine, I'm yours, I'm here. The family stays together. unconditionally, I'm not going anywhere. Jesus tells Peter right here, listen, I have not left you. Because the moment Peter, that Jesus had left Peter, he would no longer have fulfilled his promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We were designed to live in community. In Genesis 2, God created man, said it was not good for man to be alone, so he created a helper for him, a woman. But we were designed to live in harmony, in community with others. And so unconditional love says that I'm going to be there. I don't care what you do. Listen, I was thinking of this week. After our wedding last week, and just kind of the things that, you know, you know, kind of the, if you've been through a wedding and the preparations, the post-wedding hangover, and it had nothing to do with alcohol. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of you have been planning a wedding, been through a wedding, and you're like, I understand now why people tell you, here, take $1,000 and fly to Vegas, right? Yeah, okay, so this post-wedding hangover, I was thinking to myself, like, who are the people I want in my corner? Like, who are the people that if, 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 I, if those 3,000 Facebook surveillance cameras want to come all against me, and I don't care what they say, by the way, but who do I want on my corner? And I got to thinking to myself, I want the people who I know I can count on. In my corner. The people who love me and may not like everything about me. They may not like the way I cut my hair. They may not like my bald spot. They may not like my gray in my goatee. People keep, by the way, people tell me, you know, you can put some stuff to cover that up so you won't look quite as old. I still get carded at restaurants. You think I want to cover this up? I earned every one of these. I might cover the triple chin, but I'm not covering this. Who do I want in my corner? I want the people who have been through the fire with me. And when I come to Action Church and the La Familia, I know this. We may not all get along. Some of y'all may not even vote like me. Let me go a step further. Unconditional love stays regardless of your sin, regardless of your sexual orientation, Regardless of whether or not you're a legal or illegal immigrant, unconditional love says, I got you. 
Because at the end of the day, unconditional love realizes that every individual is a person who is created in the image of God and someone for whom Jesus offered his life and shed his precious blood that that individual might be restored to a right relationship with God. And unconditional love says, I'm going to stay because you're worth it. I'm going to stay because you're valuable. You're worth it. If Jesus thought enough of you to go to the cross and shed his blood, then I'm staying because you have value. You have worth. You, in fact, you have immense worth. So unconditional love stays when others leave. Now, some of you are thinking, that sounds great in practicality, or, or in theory, but in practicality, you can't expect someone to stay in the worst of situations. And someone's going to walk out of here, and they're going to misconstrue my words, and they're going to think that I'm, gonna, that I'm saying that we should stay in family situations or in, in marriages that where there's abuse or there's neglect or there's this or there's that. Hear what I'm saying. We're not talking about that. I'm telling you to be smart. But I'm telling you when it comes to the church family, we stay and we take care of one another. We stay and we take care of one another. Now somebody's going to hear that and they're going to say, oh, so you're saying we cover up one another's sins. No, I'm saying you love them enough to call them out for their sin and still love them and stay. Somebody's going to hear this later, and they're going to call Gary and say, I can't believe that you had him preaching, and I can't believe it. You're just going to hide one another's sins, and we're going to be in this Me Too movement. Stop that. The problem is we have created an environment where if we call someone out, we've created a society where if we call someone out, we must hate them. Nothing could be further from the truth. If you see me fixing to eat a piece of cake for the seventh time at the meal and you tell me, hey, moron, you're going to get fatter, stop. That doesn't mean you hate me. It means you don't want me to die of diabetes. Doesn't mean you hate me, but we're still, we still love each other. If we go to the polling booth and you know what? You go one way and I go another way. We still love each other. Can I tell you this? That it's time for the church to quit getting on their high horses and their pet sins and just love one another. Jesus told his followers that they would know who are his disciples by his love. If you look across evangelical Christianity today, you don't see very much love being spread across the spectrum. You see a lot of what we're against and not very much of what we're for. Well, I'm for Jesus. Okay, what does that mean? Are you for the Jesus who's for the homosexual? Are you for the Jesus who's for the illegal immigrant? Are you for the Jesus who votes differently, who's for the people who vote differently than you? Are you for the Jesus who's for the people who look differently than you? Are you for the Jesus who's from, for the people from the wrong side of the tracks? Or are you just for the Jesus who, who dre, who's for the people who dress like you, act like you, walk like you, talk like you, vote like you, and talk like you, speak like with the same dialect? Because if that's who you're for, you're not for the Jesus of the Bible. Unconditional love stays when others leave. Unconditional love stays when others leave. Can I say this about La Familia? See, the great thing about me getting to come here and preach is I can say things that I would consider to be polarizing, but because Gary's the pastor here, they're really not. <laughs> Works out really well for me. The great thing about staying. I, I was on staff, as I've shared, for, for 20 years in traditional churches, established churches. And I always dreamed of a church. Legit, this is no, no joke. I always dreamed of a church like Action Church where we threw the rules out the window and we just came to love Jesus. And we love people who came, period. We didn't ask questions. We just love people. I mean, the music's kind of cool too. I don't know if y'all have noticed, but the music's kind of cool here too, Right? But, but just a place where the, the, the community is real. You know what I mean? Like I've dreamed of this. And so in my mind, it blows my mind that this place is not standing room only every Sunday. And somebody's going to say, yes, but if you only knew the polarizing things or who did this or who did that or who did blah, 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 blah. Man, with all the love I can muster, unconditional love says, I don't give a crap about all that. I'm here. These are my people. This is my tribe. This is my circle. I ain't going nowhere. I ain't going nowhere. Can I tell you that when the commun when a community, this community, any community sees that in a church and we're willing to confront sin in a biblical in a biblical way, 
when a, and we still stay and we still love, when a community sees that, can I tell you this? Man, it will change that community. Because they'll start thinking, they'll stop thinking that all churches are the same. They'll stop thinking, well, I went to that church and it was like this. I went to that church and it was like this. They'll start seeing people who stick and who stay. And they'll be like, man, that church is a family. And somebody's going to come up and say, that sounds great in theory, but in practicality, you can only have about 7 to 12 true deep relationships. And so the church can't get any bigger than that without having to have small groups or having to have this or having to have... I call baloney to that. The first church had over 3,000 added in one day. And then later on in the chapter, it says they were together every day in the temple complex, sharing and having as things were needed, taking care of one another's needs. And somebody's, some education minister from some First Baptist church of any town USA is going to come up and say, well, it's because they had to organize into small groups. I'm not real sure. I see it say they were all together every day, sharing among one another as they had need. And they were all in one accord, and they were all loving each other. Unconditional love stays on the leak. Not only, not only does unconditional love stay, unconditional love shows when others talk. This is a big one. Any town USA, every church in the town says, we love our community. I love what action, I see, I love, I love action church. Because I think there's a little bit of, um, there's a little bit of poker player in me, like let's put your money where your mouth is. You know what I'm saying? And so I love what Action Church does. Okay, you care about your community? Open your building when, when it gets cold so the homeless people have a place to go to not freeze to death. Oh, we can't do that. You have a 10,000-square-foot building. Why can't you do that? Well, because Miss Sally's Aunt Joe's uncle's brother's cousin gave the money for those pews, and we don't know where those homeless people are. They might tear something up. So, but I thought you cared about your community. Oh, we do. Well, what do you do to show that? Oh, well, we go out and we knock on doors and tell people about Jesus. People you've never met before. You have no relationship with. Oh. Unconditional love says we love our community. When it gets cold, we don't want people to freeze. Y'all come on in. Unconditional love says, you know, Thanksgiving's a big thing when, when we want people to know that they can be taken care of and that they can have the dignity of preparing a meal for their family in their home. And so what we do is we don't ask any questions. We say, hey, y'all come. Come get a meal. Take it home feed it to fix your family. Unconditional love says, you know what? We live in this community all around us where there are needs. And you know what we do? We meet them. Unconditional love says, hey, you know, we got some extra macaroni salad and potato salad. Take it. Take it home and eat it yourself. Take it down the road and give it to somebody standing on the corner. I don't care. Take it. Love your unconditional love shows when others simply talk. You don't get to say like George Strait did, our love is unconditional, we knew it from the start, and let it be a great song from the king of country music that has no backbone to it. Unconditional love can't be talk, it's got to be shown. And Jesus comes to Peter in this text and he says, I love you to the point that I'm not letting you go, I'm staying with you, I'm showing you I love you because I'm pulling you aside and I'm walking with you down this journey and we're having this conversation and I'm bringing you face to face with the reality of what your commitment is and guess what, I still love you and I still have work for you. I still love you and I still, not, forget work for a minute because work's a four letter word. I still have a plan for you. Most of us don't like hearing that God has work for us. We do like hearing that God has a plan for our life. Because at the end of the day, that, that gives us hope, doesn't it? And so God has, God, God has, Jesus has a plan for Peter in the midst of this unconditional love. And the family says, you know what? It's not just about talk. It's about action. When I met Kevin and he told me that he's going through cancer treatments and he's back there, it's not about, hey, I'm there if you need me. Holler at me. It's, I'm there if you need me. Here I am. I'm here to do what I've been asked to do. Now, is that, not, is that not showing unconditional love? I mean, the dude's not supposed to be around crowds because he's going through cancer treatment. Let's get real for me. You know what I do? If, you, if I'm going through cancer treatment and they tell me not to be around crowds, you know what I'm doing? I don't know either. I really don't. Never been there. But I can tell you this. It made me question whether or not I'd have that level of commitment. Because unconditional love shows. We love our community. We love one another. The great thing that I love about Action Church is that every time I've been here and there is a need, you guys rise up and meet it. It doesn't matter if it's Give Canton the Bird where you fed 300, 300 families last year in this community. Mind-blowing. 
Somebody's going to complain about that and say, well, that's just a fraction of the people who are in need in Canton. The people who are complaining are the people who aren't doing a stinking thing. Because it's easier to sit back and complain than it is to get in the game, roll your sleeves up, get your hands dirty. One of the things that I learned in seminary was that a lot of times professors and other students, we're great at sitting, and I say we because I was guilty of this, we're great at sitting around and reading what other people have done and picking it apart. Because in academia, you pick things apart to find the flaws with it, to find what's right with it. You pick it apart. That's what you're taught to do. But what we didn't always do very well was sit back and say, you know what, this might be a flaw here, but my goodness, look at the great things that they are doing. We're too busy picking it apart. Here's the deal. You don't like how another... You don't like how something's going? Then get involved and make it better. Like, you don't think it should be done this way. You think it should be done that way. Well, get involved. Don't complain. Get involved and show that you have unconditional love. Show that you're a part of the team. I I mean, at the end of the day, the church needs less people sitting in the pews or the chairs or the tables with their arms out or with their arms folded or I don't like this or the music's too loud or I don't like that or this or that or that. He talks too fast. He talks too slow. He talks too loud. He talks too slow. Whatever. Get in the game and show your level of commitment and your love. Because that's what unconditional love, that's what, that's what Jesus did with Peter right here. Do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Unconditional love, not only does it stay and does it show, but it pursues. Unconditional love pursues when others reject. I want you to walk with me on, on this trail for a minute. Peter's denied Jesus. He's been walking with Jesus three and a half years during his earthly ministry. He denies him. You know that there are people looking at Peter a little bit differently now. Maybe it was never real to begin with, right? What does Jesus do in this text? Jesus goes and singles Peter out. Brings him in. So let's go have a talk. Jesus pursues when others would reject. Jesus knew something about Peter. Jesus knew what his plan was. Can I tell you something that's going to, it blew my mind when I thought about it. It may not blow yours because I'm not the brightest crayon in the box or the sharpest bulb in the box. No rocket surgeon. Y'all will get that tomorrow. Some of y'all are thinking, he did that. He, he messed up. No, he didn't. He did that on purpose. Because some of you were starting to snore. But listen, Jesus knew in eternity past that Peter would do what he did. Jesus knew. And when others reject, Jesus pursues. Unconditional love pursues when others reject, trash, throw away. Can Can I say, a little over two years ago, I walked through those back doors for the first time. I tell you, it was Mother's Day two years ago. I walked through those doors. A friend of mine had sent Gary a message telling him my story. I'd never met Gary when I was in seminary, and Gary planted another church in town. Gary and his staff got tattoos of the church logo. And when I was in seminary, we were sitting in a class looking online, and we saw those tattoos. We're like, man, it'd be so cool to be at a church. It'd be cool with us having tattoos. I'd never met him, but I'd seen him. Walked out back door and I told him who I was. And I said, I'm Grady, I'm the pastor at such and such church for about two more hours. In about two hours, I'll read my resignation letter. Here's my story. <clears throat> I, didn't know, I, I didn't know the response to expect, but I knew I had to tell my story. Does that make sense? And what I really expected from him was the same thing that I had gotten from everyone else I had talked to that week on staff at churches. Some nonchalant, oh man, that's tough, praying for you, and then never hear from them again. By the way, I have friends who are professors at Christian universities who used to bring me into their classroom, in their youth ministry classroom, to speak to their students on how to set up your youth ministry, on how to do youth ministry. And you know, when I called those friends and told them, by the way, friends who are on staff who also have hidden sins in their life, who called and confessed them to me and asked me to hold them accountable and pray with them and check on them. Friends who I called and did the same thing to them and in over two years asked me how many times they've called me. Not a once. 
not a want. Does it hurt me? Nope. You know why it doesn't hurt me? Because at the end of the day, I realize they still got to fight their own battle. I still got to fight mine. But their complicit or implicit or explicit rejection of me reminds me of this. Jesus and unconditional love still pursue. When I walked through that back door and I told him my story, I expected some nonchalant. And, when he, and y'all have heard him say this. I don't care. I heard it as, I don't care about your story. What he meant was, I don't care, dude. You're welcome. He told me this, and I'll never forget it. He said, come in, sit in the back, enjoy the service, and just be loved. That was in May. I was here every Sunday except for the Sundays I was out of town. And then in September, he had me come up here and preach. And I'm not going to lie. Like, guys, I don't throw up. Like, I just don't. I'd rather be beat with a two-by-four than throw up. I threw up that morning. Because something that I had done for so many years did not seem like it would ever happen again, and it was fixing to have to happen. But it was going to happen in a different way than it had ever happened before. I wasn't the guy who stood up on stage putting on a show anymore. I was the guy that had to come face-to-face with my reality in front of a room of people who had come face-to-face with their realities. There was no need to be pretentious anymore. Because when everyone else rejected me, unconditional love said, come on, we're going to pursue. We're going to pursue. We're going to bring you in. By the way, Lindsay and I live in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and you guys have made finding a church extremely difficult for us. We go to churches, and we've tried to visit churches, and I won't name the names because I don't want to offend too many people because I still have some thoughtfulness about me. But we go to churches, and, and I'm at this point, like I said, about pretentiousness, where I'm not going to be pretentious, pretentious. And so when I walk in and I meet the pastor or the leadership of the church, I kind of tell them my story. You don't have to tell everybody your story, Grady. Yeah, I know, but here's the deal. I'd rather get it out of the way up front to see their reaction than wait six months down the road and invest six months of my life in a place that I'm not going to stay anyway. You, you feel me? And so when I tell them that story, and it goes from... Uh, and then the next question tends to be something like this. So in, in what ways would it be possible for me to eventually serve? Well, you know, um, we, we do a, a volunteer custodial team around here. Translation, we'd love to have your presence and your check, but we really don't want to see you or hear from you. My daddy don't have no stepchildren. Well, Grady, there's nothing wrong with being a custodian, but we need custodians in the kingdom of God as well. You're right, we do, and I don't have a problem sweeping a floor, mopping a floor. In fact, when I used to run a camp, I used to get in trouble. My executive pastor at the church that I ran the camp for used to come to me on cleanup day because I would be on the tractor moving the bleachers back to where they go, or I would be out actually doing the physical labor, and he would say to me, you know, you're not supposed to do this. You're supposed to delegate this. Well, here's my problem with delegation. My problem with delegation is this. If the people who I'm delegating to don't trust me or know that I'm going to get out there and put in a sweat equity with them, why in the crap do I think I have the right to ask them to do a thing? You feel me? Like, I'm going to sweat with you if we're sweating. I'm going to work with you. And so, like, I struggle with that. And so I don't have a problem being a custodian, but I do have a problem with give us your, t- give us your presence so we can count you and give us your money so we can put it towards our budget. But, eh, stay over here. And by the way, is it, can I just say something? We, we pick on sins in the church that everybody likes to talk about. You know, we, we like to pick on, and I'm going to say sin, I'm using the word sins very loosely in that. We pick on people who sin differently than we do. Okay. We still haven't picked on the Baptist at the buffet. We still haven't picked on harboring an unforgiving spirit. We still haven't picked on harboring bitterness in our hearts. We're real good at picking on things that are visible and that we don't like. We're not so good at picking on things that we struggle with. And let me go a step further. Maybe we shouldn't even be picking on those things. 
Maybe our job is to present the gospel of Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to do the Holy Spirit's work and allow the Holy Spirit to bring about change intrinsically because the change that he brings intrinsically will be greater than anything we can do from an extrinsic motivation because all we can bring about is behavior modification and he can bring about an internal heart change that changes everything in someone's life. So maybe we ought not even pick on sins. Maybe we just ought to share Jesus and love people wherever they are. Well, preacher, we do that. We just don't want to see them stay where they are. You're not hearing what I said. Let's just love them and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Let's just love them and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. If we do our job, I promise you, He will do His. He's never failed. We have Unconditional love pursues when others reject. Jesus pursued Peter in, the, in La Familia. There are going to be times that others where we're rejected in other places and the family says, oh no, you're welcome here. Come on in. Come on in. You're welcome because you're part of... We're, in fact, not only come on in, we're going to come get you. If you're messing up, we're coming after you. We're like the IRS. Some of y'all are laughing because you're good on your taxes. Some of y'all are thinking, oh, snap. I'd be that latter when I'm joking. Kind of. Anyway. Unconditional love pursues when others reject. Not only does unconditional love pursue, but unconditional love, this is, this is probably my favorite one. Unconditional love restores when others trash. You know, when you walk into people in ministry and you tell them your story as a guy in ministry who has my story and you walk in and you tell them your story typically the response is something like this that's tough you know your ministry's over you're done you'll never preach again you're done you're disqualified from ministry that's typically what you hear hear me I don't care what you've done you've done nothing at the level of literally denying Jesus and if Jesus goes to Peter and says come on back into the fold I still got a plan for you come on back into the fold Come on back into the fold. You're not done. You're not through. I'm not casting you aside. I'm not throwing you away. Come on back. I got work for you to do. I have a plan in your life. If he says that to Peter, he says it to you. He says it to me. Unconditional love says, you're not done. I got a plan. He says, come on back. Unconditional love restores us. You say, well, yeah, he restores, but it can never be like it was before. Can I just tell you something? When you meet the living Jesus of the Bible, maybe it's not supposed to be like it was before. Most of the time, churches, they expect unbelievers to have an Apostle Paul experience on the Damascus Road. You remember the story of Paul on the Damascus Road? Paul, who was Saul, and he was going about persecuting the believers, those who were of the way. And he, was, he had letters to go to Damascus and capture them and bring them back so that they could be put on trial and killed for, for blasphemy. And so on his way, he... he met and encountered the living Jesus and he was struck blind and he was blind for three days and, and then he got his eyesight back and God changed his name to, to Paul and he became a great missionary. And we think that that was a dramatic conversion experience but what we don't understand is this. Saul, if you go back to Philippians chapter 3 and you read his pedigree, if you will, Saul will tell you this. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning zeal. In other words, I thought concerning trying to please the Lord and do what I thought was right. I, nobody was ahead of me in my class. I was the man. But I count all things as loss. In fact, if you, the, the, the original translation says, I count all things as dung in the street. Everything that I had accomplished trash. In other words, most churches are looking for unbelievers to have a dramatic conversion experience when we, the dramatic conversion experience that we find in Scripture has nothing to do with unbelievers who are reprobate. It has to do with those who are in the church already and who are believe, believers and who are living wrong, pharisaical lifestyles and they meet the living Jesus and they change. 
Here's the reality. Why would you say that? Here's why I say that. Because we're looking at the wrong thing. Those are the very people who would throw us out and who would trash us. And Jesus says, oh, no, you ain't done. Come on back. I still got a plan for you. If I can, raise, if I can be raised from the dead after being crucified on a Roman cross, which is the cruelest form of, cru- of death that there could possibly be, if I can be raised from the dead from that, I can restore you no matter what you've done. And he says, come on back. Unconditional love. In a church that looks like this, unconditional love says, you know what? I'm not going to harbor that unforgiveness. I'm not going to harbor that bitterness. I'm not going to harbor that attitude. I'm not going to harbor that. In fact, I'm going to restore you. People are going to hear this, and they're going to think, well, he's talking about he ought to be restored into a place of ministry. Can I just say this to you? I drive a truck for a living. And you know what? I'm extremely content driving a truck for a living. Lindsay would like me to be home a little bit more, but other than that, I drive a truck for a living. And I make a lot more money than I ever made as a pastor. And I don't really care if I'm ever on staff at a church again because churches are full of people. And people are fickle. And you know what? Not real sure I ever want to depend on my salary coming from one again. Well, that's kind of harsh. I told y'all, no pretension. Right? At the end of the day, I don't care if I'm ever on staff. Because being on staff does not change whether or not God's called me to do ministry. But unconditional love says, I'm going to restore you. It means that we realize not only is there no second-class citizen in the kingdom of heaven for me, there's no second-class citizen in the kingdom of heaven for you, but for everybody else as well. We look around and we say, you know what? Come on, come be part of the family. Come be part of La Familia because it's deeper than blood. If I had to go to battle, there are some of you in here I've known for two years or less. But if I got to go, if I got to go to battle, there are people in this room who I won't stand in beside me. Because you've been through the fire too. And you know the joys, the trials, you know the excitement, you know the hell that we're gonna go through. I don't want those people who sit and talk about it in their fancy white buildings and their suits and their ties who have never walked the fire, or if they have, don't want anybody to know. You know, one of the things that never made sense to me as a pastor was some of the godliest men that I ever had the privilege of knowing could never be set aside as deacons in those churches because somewhere in their past, they had been divorced and remarried. And that blew my mind. Some of the godliest, they were the most faithful, they were the hardest working, They served the most. They were there every time the doors were open. They they made more hospital visits than deacons made. They could never be set aside in those churches because they had been divorced and remarried. Because we took one passage of Scripture in 1 Timothy 3 that said a deacon must be the husband of one wife. Now, the literal translation is a one-woman man Somebody's going to come up to me later who's got more Greek knowledge than I do and say, yes, but that was an interchangeable term that meant husband of one wife. Okay. Then why is single Bubba over here a deacon? Well, he's not been divorced. I don't see that. Don't ask questions, Grady. You're going to cause problems. I think we should ask questions. But unconditional love restores. And then my, my final point, the one that I love the most, is this next one. Unconditional love believes even when we don't. Get this. Look at what Jesus says. At the end of the text, Jesus says this. Verily I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and you and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Listen, Jesus said this to indicate what, what kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Get this. Jesus is telling Peter, you're still going to bring glory to God. I'm not through. I believe in you, Peter. You still have a plan. You still have work to do. You're still going to do. And listen, Peter at this point probably does not believe what 
Jesus is saying, he's probably still living in the guilt and the shame of realizing that he denied Jesus three times. You know, many of us live in guilt and we live in shame. And the enemy throws that on us and the enemy casts that on us and he reminds us of how we failed. And he does that over and over and over again. And most of the time, the enemy does not come to us dressed with red red horns and a pitchfork and a long red tail. The enemy comes to us with the name of Christians who hold our shame and our guilt over us and call us by our sin. And let me tell you, that is not of God. The enemy knows you by your sin and reminds you of it often. The enemy knows you by your past and reminds you of it often. Jesus knows you by your name. He did not come in here and say, Hey, you guy that denied me three times, come here. He said, Peter... Come here. He said, Peter, come here. Can I tell you that when other believers, and I'm going to use that term, I don't mean to use it loosely because they probably are, but they're probably caught up as well in some own issues, some of their own issues. But when other believers come at us and want to attack you with your past or with your baggage or with whatever, and they want to remind you, they want to try to heap guilt and heap shame on you, remind yourself and don't worry about them that, you know what, that is not of God because Jesus' unconditional love, Jesus believes in you to glorify him and to live a life that is pleasing to him even when you don't think you can. One of the things I used to teach as a youth pastor was that if our students understood their identity in Christ, they wouldn't make a lot of the stupid decisions that they make. Then I became a pastor. And I taught that if as adults we understood our identity in Christ, we wouldn't make a lot of the stupid decisions that we make. And then I made some of those stupid decisions that we make. Let me say this. It's one thing to say we understand our identity in Christ. It's another thing to come to a place where you ain't got nothing but you and your identity in Christ. And when you realize, listen, let's just shoot straight for a minute. I'm not the only one who's about to say this. Listen, when you've lost everything and you're at the bottom of the barrel and you're asking yourself, is it even worth going on? Am I the only one who's ever asked that question? Please don't let me raise my hand by myself. Is it even worth going on? When you're at the bottom of the barrel and you've asked yourself that question, is it not empowering to know that there are people who love you unconditionally in the family who believe in you and who encourage you and who want to bring you along because they see something in you and in me that we don't even see in ourselves and that is that Jesus believes in us even when we don't believe in ourselves. There is hope in unconditional love because he's not going to leave us where we are. He's not going to leave us in that place. Just a few days later, just a few days later in Acts chapter 2, they were, they were all in the upper room. There was about 120 of them. They were in the upper room, and they were doing what, God, what Jesus had told them to do after he left, and the Holy Spirit fell on them, and they began to speak in tongues, and that's a message for another day. And I still don't understand why evangelical Christianity gripes and argues about whether tongues are for today or tongues are for yesterday. Here's my deal in this. I, I don't really care. If somebody comes to know Jesus through someone's gift, then I, who am I to question it? That's another day. I speak East Texan. Some people say that's a foreign tongue. I've been to Boston. I beg to differ. Just a few short days later when the Holy Spirit fell on them, Peter, get this, Peter, the guy who denied Jesus, Peter stands up full of the Holy Ghost and says, men of Israel, Men of Jerusalem, these are not drunken words, as you suppose, as it's only nine in the morning. Obviously, he'd never been to Action Church. <laughs> You're laughing, because some of you know. These are not drunken words, as you suppose, as it's only nine in the morning. And then he began to preach, and he took from the Old Testament prophet, the book of Joel, and he began to preach through the book of Joel, and he said how in the last days, the prophet Joel spoke about how in the last days, God would pour out his spirit upon all mankind, and he began to preach Jesus in the Old Testament. And on that day, they said to him, what must we do to be saved? And he said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus, every one of you. And over 3 
thousand people began to follow Christ that day. The guy who had messed it up so bad that he denied Jesus and cursed him, that guy is the very guy that Jesus believed would bring glory to him and he had him stand up in front of the massive crowds and preach the gospel and thousands came to Christ. I don't care what you've done, God's still going to get glory out of your life if you realize he believes in you. In this family there are people who believe in you. La Familia is so much deeper than blood. We believe in one another. Listen, every one of us has a giftedness that, that the others don't have. And God brings us together to use our giftedness and to work together that he might get glory. And you may say, I don't understand. I am that custodian. I don't understand. I am that person that, that is behind the scenes. You don't understand what your giftedness may be used for in the future to bring glory to God by sharing your story with somebody else. And they come out of addiction or they come out of a bad abusive relationship or they come from this place or that place because God chose to use you and he chose, you realize that there were people who encouraged and believed in you even when you said, I, I have nothing to offer. And they, we all stood around you in the family and said, you have you and that's enough. That's enough. You have you and that's all Christ asked for. That's all that's needed in the family. You say, but what do you mean? I heard it put like this in a funeral one time and then I'll close. I was at a funeral one time for a, a child. I didn't preach the funeral. Someone else did. And you could tell the, the preacher preaching the funeral was having a very difficult time. He did a very good job telling stories about the person's life. He knew the person. He was his pastor. He did well with telling the story. But where he had a hard time was how do you preach a funeral for a child? And I remember this like it was yesterday, but he said... I don't know why God chose to take this young man home now. All I can say is that God in his continual picking of a heavenly bouquet saw a spot where only this young man would fit. And he chose to take this person home. Can I tell you that I, I don't, you may not know what your giftedness is and you may not know what your special need is, but God, in putting together the La Familia here at Action Church, sees a place in the making of this bouquet where you're unconditional, where this unconditional love believes in you. In you, even if you don't believe in yourself right now. And I don't know if you're in the same boat I'm in, but there's some times when you need somebody to believe in, yourself, in, in you because it's hard to believe in yourself. And there are people around us in the family who say, come on. There are times that I, and you've done, I'm not the only one. Y'all done it too. You've called your pastor. You've texted your pastor. And you've been at, the, at your wit's end. And he said something back to you to this extent. See the thumbs up? Which means you got this. Or if it's bad enough, he calls you. And he talks you through it. And he encourages you. And tells you how you're going to get it. And it's not always you got this. Sometimes it's some practical application of, well, quit eating too much or quit drinking or quit going to the trap house or quit. You with me? But he encourages you. That's part of the family. He believes that you can do it even when you don't. And God in his ever-continuing making of the bouquet that is Action Church believes in you even if you don't believe in yourself. That's the family. Unconditional love stays, it shows, it pursues. Unconditional love restores and unconditional love believes. Aren't you thankful to be part of a family that's characterized by unconditional love? Aren't you thankful to be part of a family characterized by the unconditional love that Jesus shows Peter in this text? I won't lie, over the last two years there have been some passages I've, I've camped out in. The, the life of David is one passage. And, I, and this passage is another passage. Because you know what we don't see a lot of in churches today is when people screw up, we don't see them be built up. We just don't see it. And we're all going to screw up. And so the question that I've asked myself over the last two years is, I see passages in Scripture where people who were not believers became believers. What I don't see a ton of is where people who were believers and they screwed up, how they're brought back into the fold, but I find it right here. I see somebody who screwed up and he, brought it, he was brought back in. And he was brought back in because of the unconditional love of Jesus. That has got to be a characteristic of our family, of La Familia, that we're going to love each other 
we're going we're gonna to stay. We're going to show each other. We're going to show our community. We're going to restore one another. We're going to pursue one another. We're going to believe in one another. There's still a little bit of the mindset of what could be in my mind. And so I drive wherever my GPS tells me to get here because I still hadn't figured it out yet. But I see all of the community around this place. And what I see is a community in need of Jesus. And I see a church that is more well-equipped than any church I've ever been a part of to reach their community and make a difference for the kingdom of God in Action Church than any church I've ever been a part of. Because you're, you're marked by your loyalty, your honor, your unconditional love. It's part of the family. And we've got to remember that as we go forward as a church that exists to reach those who are far from God, who have been hurt by the church, who have got hurts, habits, hang-ups, who have screwed up, this is that place where they can be loved, they can be nurtured back to health, they can be empowered to go serve. This is La Familia.